Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Thank you. I appreciate you, my friends. All right. Well, um, I have a couple uh, little house cleaning things that we're going to do before we're going to jump like right in, right in. But um, first of all, welcome to Word of Life. If you're here for the very first time, whether in the house or watching online, uh, I encourage you to go to our website, which is wolcarlsbad.com, and click on, um, I don't know what you're going to click on there. Go to our website. It's good. If you're, if you're uh, I don't know, if you're there for, here for the first time, um, then there's a card you can fill out, and you can do something on the website too. So do all those things, um, and that'll be really awesome. All right. Um, that was an epic failure. Um, that would have been a good place for an amen, I'm just saying. Like, you could have said, amen. All right. It's early, but you're going to have to be, I, I'm just going to be 100% honest today, okay? Um, you're going to have to be loud today. Um, because I'm going to be loud today, and I need you to be loud today. I'm, the beginning of this message, I'll give you a little outline. The beginning of this message is going to be a little, a little teachy. It's going to be a little in-depth. There's a whole lot of Bible here in the beginning. There's a lot of Bible always, right? But there's a whole lot of, of Scripture that we're going to go through in the beginning, and I'm going to try to contain myself from getting too fired up because my plants got it last night, you guys. So um, if for those of you who don't know, I preach to my plants um, at, in my, at my house, and uh, I do it all the time. Um, so we had plants slain in the spirit, and I was raising them back up last night, and it was crazy. So um, I'm kidding. But there were some that were falling over, and I did pick them up. Um, because you got to take care of your plants, guys. you got to take care of your plants. Um, thank you. Thank you. See, that's how this is supposed to work, all right? All right. Um, first off... Uh, I owe you an apology, and then you owe me one, all right? So I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to apologize first. Did you know that last Monday was third Monday fast? You know, do you know why you owe me an apology? I owe you one because we didn't talk about it last week. It just, like, Pastor Daniel and I were talking on Tuesday about something, and he said, yesterday was fast. And I said, yes, it was, and I did not fast. And he said, neither did I. You know why you owe me an apology? No one told us. <laughs> not one person. There's not one text message that said, bro, y'all going to fast today? There wasn't one phone call. Nobody put on social media, are we fasting this week? Nobody. Nobody at all. So here's what I want you to do, okay? I accept your apology. Do you accept mine? Yes. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Because I feel like this is an indicator of where we're at. God had instructed us to do something that I don't think we're as excited about it as we need to be, if I'm being honest, all right? And it, can we all be honest in this room? I don't think we're as excited about it as we need to be. But when God instructs us to do something, how many agree that we need to be obedient and do it? Amen. Right? Okay. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to reset. There's a message, and I want to put up a graphic. There's a message that I listened to about three weeks ago from Fresh Life Church, 
and a pastor named Levi, I don't know if you pronounce his name Lusco or Lusco, I don't know, it doesn't really matter in this setting. If I met him, I'd probably be embarrassed. I would have a 50-50 chance and I'd pick the wrong one, all right? But, um, but I don't know him. Hopefully he won't watch this. Um, scan this, it's gonna take you to their podcast page and there's a, uh, there's a message that's gonna take you right to that is the single best thing I have ever heard, read on fasting, okay? It's the best thing that I've ever heard, that I've ever, this is not reading, but including the things that I've read on fasting, it's the most concise thing. Tomorrow, I want you to listen to that, all right? Podcast, watch it on, I think it's on YouTube, um, and I believe the message is called I Mean Business. Is that what popped up? Um, I mean business. It's about, I don't know, it's less than an hour. 50, it's way less than an hour. Five minutes less than an hour. I want you to take the time to listen to this tomorrow. You know what I would love in accountability? Can we be accountable to one another? No, y'all weren't ready for that question. Um, can we be accountable to one another? Okay, why don't we send a text message and say, hey, I listened to the message. What about that? Can we do that? Maybe a comment on Facebook, whatever it is. It doesn't even necessarily have to be to me. Let's be accountable to one another as a body, okay? Is that fair? I want everybody and, and no excuses. We were supposed to fast for an entire day and we didn't do it and so we're gonna reset and we're gonna take 55 minutes and we're gonna listen to this message as a body. Can we do it? Yes. Okay, all right, fair. Number two, here's what I need. This one's not as intense. Is that okay? Um, you're like, thank God. I was getting ready to leave. I started Googling churches nearby. <laughs> Which one can I still get to? Okay, many of you guys know that we do um, an outreach every so often um, to Pakistan pastors meetings and town hall meetings. Um, I was actually on um, King Television that's based in Pakistan and it, was, it, it goes out to about 175 or something countries um, and I was on there. It's also on Roku so you guys could watch it. I didn't know any of that stuff when I did it um, or I would have said, hey, check me out. Um, but anyway, I was on that program. We, we've been doing so many things um, in the nation of Pakistan, and we have an opportunity now to, um, to do a pastor's meeting with about 500 pastors. Now, this is gonna be virtually. We'll do it in our studio over Zoom. Um, but there's about 500 pastors that are going to attend this event, and they asked for help with the meal. And so they're gonna feed the pastors lunch, and they asked for help with the meal. Um, the meal for the pastors is going to cost $2 per pastor, 500 pastors. And so what I'm asking you to do is when we give a little bit later, I'm asking you to donate meals for pastors for this pastor's conference, okay? $2 a meal, maybe you can do one meal, maybe you can do 10 meals, maybe you can do 100 meals. I don't know what you can do, but what I do know is that God's opened up an opportunity for us and that we can band together as the body of Christ and we can give these pastors spirit or, um, physical food while they're also getting spiritual food, amen? Okay, so pray, ask God what he wants you to do with that. $2 per meal um, feeds a pastor. We have a goal of $1,000. Fair? All right. About two years ago, um, I don't know, I think it was about two years ago. It was, I think it was in like November. Um, so it may be just over a year ago. But I had, I had an accident with uh, a miter saw. Some of you guys may remember that. Um, some of you may not. Um, some of you may have no idea. But um, I was cutting trim. I was trimming out our house. Uh, it was just me and Connor at home. Tiffany and Brooklyn were out of town. And I, I cut into my finger. My, the, the saw came down. It raised back up. And the guard didn't come back. And I reached back across like a dummy and got my hand caught in the blade. And so right through here, it cut into the bone. And went to the emergency room um, after my house looked like an episode of Game of Thrones because there was blood everywhere. Um, and 
I, I went to the emergency room. They said, we think that we're going to be able to save it, but you've got to have surgery quick. But there's not a surgeon here that can do it. And so the ER nurse made a phone call to the personal cell phone of a surgeon in Hobbs that she used to work for, and he got me in the next day. Phenomenal. This guy did such a good job, he told me, I don't know if you're going to have feeling. Well, he, actually, what he said was, I don't know if you're going to have use of your finger again, but you won't have feeling in it ever again. And I'm not sure you're going to have use. Well, I just began trusting God because I knew that God's plans for me were not to have a finger that I couldn't use. And so it wasn't long. It was a, a couple of months, and I was able to start kind of playing guitar again. And, and now I have, I have full use of this, uh, of this finger. Not only that, I have feeling in it. You know how I found out? I hit it. it that wasn't a good day because the nerves were crazy sensitive. But I was like happy and sad all at the same time, right? I was like, I can feel in my finger, but it hurts really badly. <laughs> but one of the things that came along with that, and I'm so incredibly thankful for how God moved in that situation, is my, if you look really close, I have a scar that runs from the top of my finger to the bottom of my finger. I have another little scar here. My old wedding ring wouldn't fit anymore um, because of the scar tissue, and so I had to get um, another ring, which I really like this ring, but I had to get another ring, and, um, and this finger is, it's puffier here than it is everywhere else. It's a scar. What that scar does is it reminds me of what happened. It took me a while to be able to use a saw again, and the first time I used the saw, to actually to finish that project, Tiffany cut all the trim because I couldn't. Like, I, I, I couldn't, like, squeeze that saw and bring it down. And then I got myself to the point that I could use it again, but I still, every time I use a saw of any kind, I'm mindful of what happened. I have a scar. I'm mindful of those things. Tiffany was using an electric knife the other day, and I was like, be careful with that knife. And it's like I almost started sweating and had anxiety because I'm like, you're getting your hand really close to that knife. She was like, I'm fine. I said, you're fine until you're not. <laughs> we have scars that shape the way we view the world, whether they're physical scars, emotional scars. They shape how we view one another. They shape how we treat people. Scars. It's a reminder of the things that have happened to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, your love, and your acceptance. God, we thank you that we're favored today because of Jesus. We ask today that you speak truth to us through your Holy Spirit. God, allow me today to be a vessel of your truth, a conduit of your goodness today. God, speak to every heart and every life in this room and watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. God has a history of setting reminders for us. He has a history of that. In fact, uh, when, when God flooded the entire earth in the book of Genesis, we read that account. This was in Noah's days. Everybody gets on the ark, right, and they float around for a while, and then the water recedes, and they get off. Well, when God flooded the earth, he put a rainbow in the sky, and the rainbow was a reminder that God would never flood the entire earth again. That was his promise, and there was a rainbow that was put in the sky that signified that. Every time that you see a rainbow, every time that I see a rainbow, I remind myself of the faithfulness of God because he's never broken that promise. Thousands and thousands of years, and God has never broken that promise that he made to us, and every time I see a rainbow, I'm reminded that if he was faithful in that, he's faithful to me, amen? amen. Praise God, it's a reminder did you know that the book of Revelation says that around the throne of God, there's a rainbow? 
There's a rainbow around God's throne because not only is he reminding us, he's reminding himself. He's saying, I promised and I will never flood the earth again. He's faithful. Amen? Praise God. God is about reminders. The shepherd's staff. In Psalm 23, it talks about how the, the staff, the rod and the staff brings comfort to us. And I could preach an entire message on that, but one of the things that's included, not the only thing, but one of the things that's included in that, the way that the staff brings comfort is it was a reminder of the goodness of God. Because every time a shepherd would have a significant life event, he or she would make a notch in that staff. Every one of those notches was a story of faithfulness. And so they would carry it around, and David, when he said, the, when he was going up against Goliath, and he said, the same God that caused me to, to defeat the lion and the bear will cause me to defeat this Philistine, that was the biggest obstacle he had ever faced. But he was able to look at the staff. And he, when he looked at the staff, he said, no, I remember this notch right here. God was faithful. I didn't know how I was going to beat the bear. I didn't know how I was going to save my sheep from the lion, but God was faithful. And if God was faithful here, God's going to be faithful there. Amen? It's a reminder. It's a reminder to us. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to us. Every Sunday, we partake as a body, as a community of believers in the Lord's Supper and the communion table. And as we partake of the communion table, it's a reminder. In fact, Jesus said every single time that you partake of this, I want you to do it in remembrance of what I have done. His body, the bread that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. It's a reminder that we are free, that we are cleansed, that his body was broken, so mine doesn't have to be broken. The communion table, the Lord's Supper, is a reminder of the sacrifice. God deals in reminders. I believe that the scars on Jesus are a reminder. And today, the title of my message, and we don't have it up there, I do have the notes uploaded. I don't know if we have the QR code available, and if we don't, that's okay. Um, but the title of my message today is Looking for the Scars. Looking for the Scars. After resurrection, there were 50 days in which Jesus spent walking around the region revealing his resurrected body to his disciples. Revealing the glory of God, 50 days. It's interesting because the number 50 has a lot of biblical significance. 50 days, Jesus walking around the region between, between resurrection and ascension and Pentecost, 50 days, but also the number 50, it means a release from the old way and a beginning of a new way. 50 signifies the end of a cycle. When we look in scripture, 50 also symbolizes or represents jubilee, and what jubilee means is it was a time where all the debts were forgiven and there was a clean slate. 50 represents a Sabbath and the earth resting. I believe that Jesus ushered in the age of Jubilee where no longer are we working to gain God's approval, but we have God's approval through the person of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his finished work. Amen? 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 We're gonna work on this, all right? Amen? See, I believe that some of us have been carrying around weights and hindrances for decades. For a long time. We've been carrying around these same things, but we need to get a revelation of Jubilee. That the slate is clean, that the cycle has restarted, that there is a new way, that there's a living way that he has provided for us. I'm gonna go through some scriptures here and I want you to look them up with me on your phone or in your Bible, 
in your paper Bible. I want you to look them up with me. I'm going to read most of these out of the New Living Translation. And I'm going to interject a few things as we go, and we're going to try to go kind of quick. This is the account, mostly in Luke, a couple in John, of what Jesus did over the 50 days in revealing himself to his disciples. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. I'm going to be super old school, like when I was growing up in church and we would say, the scripture, and then the pastor would talk for a second, or whoever was preaching would talk for a second, and then say, when you got it, say, I got it. So can we do that? When you're there, in Luke 24, 13, say, I got it. All right. The same day, <laughs> the same day, two of Jesus' followers, this is New Living Translation, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This is important because they said we had hoped we had hoped that he was the one we were looking for. We had hoped that he was going to answer our prayers. How many people come to church and go away saying, well, we had hoped that this was going to be the day that Jesus showed up and, and changed things in my life? We had hoped, but it must not be, right? If we're being honest, have we ever had an experience like that in our life? We had hoped but this just must be my lot in life. We had hoped, but this must not be for me. I'm gonna get to that in a minute. Just tuck it away. They go on, and they say, this all happened three days ago. And then some woman from our group of his followers, some women from the group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and surely enough, his body was gone, just as a woman had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory. And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going to go on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and he sat down to eat, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and then suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Sudden, <laughs> that's funny, y'all were like, oh, no, it's good, it's good, because he had revealed himself to them. So suddenly, their eyes were open, and they began to see him. See, they had been walking with Jesus, and they're like, we had hoped 
that he was the one. But now his body's gone. I don't even know what to make of that. And Jesus is like, man, you guys need to read the scripture. Let me show you. And so he opened up the scripture and he began to show them. And he broke bread with them. And he had relationship with them. And then suddenly their eyes were opened. See, I believe this, that there are times in our life where we're walking with Jesus and we don't even recognize him. We're saying we had hoped that this would be the case. And if I ask you, do you love the Lord? You would say, absolutely, I love the Lord. But you don't recognize him. Suddenly their eyes were open and they began to see him for who he is. Say they saw him for who he is. Say it again. They saw him for who he is. Hang on to that. I'm telling you to hang on to a bunch of stuff. One pocket, other pocket, all right. We're gonna keep going. Luke chapter 24, verse 38. This is just right down. So say, got it when you got it. Jesus said, why are you frightened? He's talking to his disciples. Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. And then he says this, touch me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. But as you see, I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. What was he showing them? The scars. He was showing them the scars. He was showing them the wounds. He was showing them the holes. This is what has happened. I think it's really interesting that he says, touch me. Touch me. A real churchy word is, I just want to receive a touch from Jesus. I just want to get a touch. If I could just have one touch from the master. If I could have one touch from the Savior. I'm thinking about the woman with the issue of blood who had no hope, who had exhausted all of her resources, and she pushed through the crowd, and she pushed back her own shame, and she reached out, and what did she do? She touched Jesus. She touched him. We've got people that are sitting around waiting for a touch from God, and he's saying, I'm right here. Touch me. Touch me. You got to reach out. See the scars? Touch me. I'm real. I'm here for you. But I need you to reach out. I need you to touch me. John chapter 20, verse 24. When you got it, say, I got it. John chapter 20 and verse number 24. Jesus is continuing to reveal himself to his people. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. See, the disciples, they were like, we've seen Jesus. I know that we all saw him die on the cross. We all saw him carried. We all saw him put in the grave. But I'm telling you, we have seen Jesus. But Thomas replied, ah, I'm not going to believe until I see the nail wounds in his hands, until I put my fingers into them, until I place my hand into the wound in his side. What are the, what are the next two words there? You guys find it? I want you to say them. It's important. Eight days. Say that again. Everybody, whether you're reading it or just saying it because you heard it just now, say it again. Eight days. Eight days. How many of y'all would have given up in eight days? I don't believe that anyway. I'm not waiting eight days. Are you kidding me? You know what kind of stuff happened? I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. Eight days. You ever asked your kids what they had for lunch at school? It's like you just ask them to explain like quantum physics or something. You're like, all I want to know is did you eat a cheeseburger or not? And they have no idea. Thomas, I don't believe it. Jesus, not real. I don't, I don't believe it. He hasn't risen. I'm not going to believe it until, until I touch his hands. I'm not going to believe it until I can stick my, my hand in the wound in his side. I'm not going to believe it. Eight days. You know what Thomas did not do in eight days? Leave. 
We hate on Thomas. Oh, don't doubt like Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. I bet if we were to be able to be honest here in church today, we would say we're a lot more like Thomas than we want to admit. Thomas was like, I just, I need to see it, guys. But you know what Thomas did? He kept coming back. He kept coming back. He was honest about where he was at. He was honest. He said, you know what? I'm having a hard time with this. I'm not going to believe it until I can touch his hands. That's where I'm at. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that you have to be in the place where I'm at. I'm not trying to convince you, but I'm just saying where I'm at right now, I don't believe it. He was honest about where he was at, but he kept coming back. Eight days later, they were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he turned to Thomas. He said, Thomas, here you go, man. You want to see the scar? It's right there. Check out the scar. Oh, you wanted, you wanted to see the wounds? The, the wounds right here. You can check it out. Stick your hand in it. It's fine. It's fine. This is what you needed to see. Put your fingers here on my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. My, bless you, my Lord and my God. Bless you, my child. I'm kidding. Sorry. I it was just like boom, boom. and My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. See, Jesus was on like this Galilee world tour, showing himself to everybody. Why would he look at Thomas and say, bro, I expected you to believe without even seeing? He didn't expect that of anybody else. He showed up. I believe what he was saying here is you're blessed when you can get to the point that you start believing. Now I've revealed myself to you. Now I've revealed myself. You know that I'm real. You asked to touch the scars, and now you've touched them. And you cried out to me, and you said, this is my Lord and my God. Okay, now we've established a foundation. We've established a base. You believed because you saw, but now that you've seen, believe without seeing. Believe without, blessed are you who can believe without seeing. John chapter 21, verse 1. Tell me when you got it. It's close. John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. How would you like to be like, like girl number one in the Bible? That's kind of what this was, right? Girl one and girl two, starring Peter, starring John, starring Thomas, and girl one, girl two, right? Or whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's kind of what this, anyway, I find that funny. Sorry, my sense of humor is different. That would have been a good place for an amen. That would have been a great place. Two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And so they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn... Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out and he said, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple that Jesus loved. I absolutely love it every time that John says that because he's writing about himself. And maybe you've heard this before, but I think it bears repeating that John writes about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved, and I think God's okay with it. Because you know what? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, and you are too, and John knew it. John knew 
He was the one that Jesus loved. And Jesus is like, yep, I sure do. I, amen? That's a revelation right there. It says the disciple that Jesus loved, where am I at here? I know, but I don't have verses. I should have, that was stupid of me. Um, have you caught any fish? Ah, then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work. He jumped in the water, and he headed to shore. Peter gets a bad rap here. Just like Thomas got a bad rap, Peter gets a bad rap for going fishing. I think Peter was just doing what he knew to do. He was just doing what he knew to do. He went fishing. But when given the opportunity, John turned to Peter and said, hey, that's Jesus. Peter, if you'll remember, there was a time in a boat where there was a storm and Jesus went walking on the water and he yelled out to Peter and he said, come out of the boat. Peter's like, I'm really gonna do it. He was like, oh, I don't know. I, I dare you to come out of the boat. Peter's like, I'm gonna do it, bro. I'm really gonna do it. See, I'm stepping out. He stepped out of the boat. He walked on the water. He had a little mishap, not a big deal. Jesus picked him up, right? Then Peter stands up in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever the soldiers were trying to come and, and, and take Jesus. And Peter's like, no, you're not taking my Jesus. And he drew his sword to take on an entire Roman army. Cuts off the ear of one dude. He's like, and I'll cut off all y'all's ears. <laughs> Peter, this guy was loyal to Jesus until he wasn't, until he was scared, Right? And Jesus was crucified, and he thought they were coming for him too. And they said, do you know Jesus? He said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. And the Bible says he did that three times, and he was so grieved by it that he cried out. He was so grieved. Peter, he goes fishing because it's all he knew to do. But when he had the opportunity to go see Jesus, he said, I'm not going to wait this time for you to call me. I'm running to you. I'm not even going to wait. I'm not even going to wait for these guys to turn this boat around. I'm going to jump out and I'm going to swim because I'm not waiting another second. I'm going to get to Jesus. He didn't say, I'm waiting for a touch from God. He said, I'm going to go out and touch you. I'm running to you. I'm running to you. Says the others, they stayed in the boat and they pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were, they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. I always love that part because they fished all night, professional fishermen. They didn't catch anything. Jesus, not a fisherman, says, throw your net on the other side. They catch a bunch of fish. They get to the shore. There are already fish there. Jesus already caught a few, right? And he's already cooking them for them. It says, there was breakfast waiting, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught. Jesus said to Simon Peter, went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, but the net hadn't torn. There's a message there for another day. Now come and have some breakfast. And Jesus said, none of the disciples, uh, I'm sorry, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples had dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Look at what it says right here in this verse 14. This was the third time that he had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This was the third time that he had appeared to them. Hang on to that, pocket number three. Acts chapter one, verse four. When you got it, say, I got it. Acts chapter one, verse four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me that John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, and they said, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. To me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gathered them together. He had revealed himself to them over and over again over the last 50 days. And then he said, we're going to end that time and we're going to usher in a new cycle. We're going to usher in a new phase. It's going to be a clean slate and here's what you're going to do. You're going to go into the upper room and you're going to wait for power from on high. And I'm going to fill you up. And they said, well, Jesus, is this the time that you're going to take your earthly kingdom? And he said, and that's not, that's not for you to know. That's only for the Father to know. But I can tell you this. When you receive that power, you're going to be a witness of all of the things that I have revealed to you. You're going to be a witness. See, I believe this, that the Holy Spirit is poured out on us after we have a revelation of the scars. He spent 50 days showing the scars. 50 days. He revealed himself to his disciples three times. He took the time to teach the people that were on the road to Emmaus. He took the time to go and to visit Thomas, who had some doubts. He took the time to go and to visit with his disciples and to cook them food because he was revealing himself to them so that they could believe even though they hadn't physically seen because they were now witnesses. You can only be a witness of things that you've experienced. Has anybody ever seen a car wreck? If you've seen a car wreck and you get out and you make sure everybody's okay and many times the police officer or officers will want to ask you some questions about what you've seen. If you didn't see it, they don't need to ask you questions. You're only a witness if you've seen it. You've on, you're only a witness if you've experienced it. The only way that the Holy Spirit falls is to know the risen Jesus, and the Holy Spirit only falls so that you can be a witness. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See, that's the ultimate goal. That's the plan. It's not to, for us as Christians to just be treading water and trying not to drown every single day. Our our goal, our objective is that we receive power, then the Holy Spirit falls on us and we are his witnesses. So how do we get out of that place where we're just treading water? Look for the scars. Look for the scars. Because the scars of Jesus shows what he did for you. Shows his sacrifice for you. A lot of times we're praying for miracles, but we're not looking for scars. A lot of times, we're praying for healing, but we haven't seen the wound in his side. A lot of times, we want to experience the life, but we don't take the time to know the love, to know the sacrifice. I was thinking about the, the Asbury revival that happened a couple of months back. And since then, we've seen pop-ups of moves of the Holy Spirit of God. But I don't believe that the Asbury revival is the be-all, end-all. I think it's scratching the surface. I don't think we really know what revival is because we haven't experienced revival. I don't think we fully understand what revival is. See, Asbury, what I see in Asbury and what I see happening in church, and we ex we've experienced it here. Our services have been extremely powerful. We've experienced things, and I've talked to other pastors, and they're experiencing things in their church. What God is doing is he's stirring a hunger. He's stirring a hunger. But we're, I don't think we're too full-blown revival yet. 
And just because there's worship services and teaching of the word for days upon days upon days and weeks upon weeks and the Holy Spirit is falling, I don't think that is full out revival. I think full out revival is when we're witnesses. But God is stirring a hunger, but we're in this cycle of, of hungry feast, hungry feast, hungry feast, but he wants us to be filled. He wants us to be filled. Yeah, it has to start somewhere. We have to begin to taste. We have to begin to see. And so as we're eating, then we eat, we're full, we leave it alone for a while until we get hungry again. But that's not revival. I believe revival is where we eat, we're full, we're filled, we serve others. Amen? That's what God is calling us to. It's a higher level. It's another place. We've got to get out of the cycle. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you came to church? This is rhetorical. I don't want you to shout it out. This is the only time I want you to be quiet. And I for sure don't want you to point at somebody else, all right? When was the last time that you came to church not to be a spectator, but to be a participant? When was the last time that you invited somebody to come to church with you? When was the last time that you didn't feel like coming to church, but you came anyway? When was the last time that you asked God not to fill you, but to use you? Are we inviting Jesus into our rooms? Are we inviting Jesus in? Are we saying when we get up to go to work, God, use me for your purpose at work today? Or is, is work separate? What about, what about our kids' school activities and sports are going on right now and all the things? When was the last time you went to watch your kids play baseball or softball or soccer and you said, God, use me today during this game. Did we invite Jesus into the room? Well, I don't even know what I would do there for God. They're not gonna let me preach. Why don't you let God worry about that? Why don't you just say, use me? When was the last time we went out of town and we said, God, use me in this city while I'm here? Right? When was the last time are we inviting Jesus into our room? See, this is what the disciples did. They went to the upper room. They were filled with power from on high on Pentecost. And then they said, okay, now we're filled. We're gonna go to this festival, this Pentecost, this feast. We're gonna go and God use us while we're there. And you know what he did? It was one of the most mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit that there has ever been. 3,000 souls came to Christ because of what happened that day. But it didn't just stop there. Then Peter and John were going to the temple a few days later, and they said, God, use us because they were filled. And they see a man that they had probably seen. History tells us that they had probably seen this guy begging for money every single day of their life. They had probably seen this same guy. What was different about today? They had seen the scars. They were filled up. Revival had happened in their heart. They said, God, use me in this situation today. And so they didn't know that it was this guy that they were gonna minister to, but they were just walking in, and there was a guy begging, probably annoying, probably they ignored him every single day. But today was different. The Holy Spirit moved. They looked at him. They said, I don't have silver and gold, but I'm gonna give you what I do have. Get up and walk. And when he got up and walk, people began to look and they began to talk and they began to say, how did they do this? And they said, whoa, I'll tell you how I did it. It's the power of God that is running through my veins. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and 2,000 people came to Jesus because they just invited him into their room. 
In this shift, there's a change of mindset. It's the difference. We've been talking about maturity. This is the difference between immaturity and maturity. It's not, it's all about me and I have to get myself right, but it's about how can I serve someone else? How can I serve someone else? Yes, you have to be filled, but what are you doing? Sitting back waiting for a touch from God? Or are you reaching out? And you're putting your hands in the scars. And you're putting your hand into his side. And you're saying, okay, I believe. Use me. Use me. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. That word lay aside, it literally means just to brush off. Let's brush off the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus allows us to continue running. It allows us to continue to run the race that is set before us. We continue running by looking at the scars. The blood that Jesus shed for us meant covenant with God that is remembered by the scars of Jesus. And I believe this, that Jesus still has the scars today. I believe Jesus still has the scars today. He was resurrected. He showed the scars to his disciples. But not only that, the book of Revelation, it says this, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, Jesus, as though it had been slain. Jesus, the picture of Jesus in heaven on the right hand of the throne of God is a picture of a lamb that had been slain. This is a Jesus who carries the scars. But you know what's interesting? Jesus carries the scars, but we don't. And so the scars that we have, your emotional scars, the things that have happened to you in your life, the pain that you carry with you, the physical scars that you have in our resurrected body, those are not there. We're given a new body, a resurrected body. Why does Jesus have the scars and we don't have the scars? Because he took ours. He took our scars, and he wants us to always remember that he took our scars. He took our pain. He took our suffering. He took it on him. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, and I'm not going to go there today, but it says this, that God has removed the stony heart from us, and he has given us a heart that is God-willed and not self-willed. He's given us a new heart. That means that I'm no longer living for myself with the same heart that got me here. It means that I'm living with a brand new heart. When I followed my old heart, what did it get me? I followed my old heart and I got in relationships that I should never be in. I, I followed my, my old heart and my old way of doing things and it got me in situations and circumstances and with people that led me to ugly places in my life. When I followed my old heart, I was broken and I would try to piece it back together with things that only made the cracks grow wider because I was doing it in and of my, old, my own strength. I used to try and protect my old heart, my old hurting heart, my old broken heart, by building walls in the places where people had betrayed trust. I would lie, manipulate, just to get places that I thought would make my heart happy. I was trying to satisfy an old heart, but here's what happened. When Jesus came in, 
The scars on his hands meant that I now have a scar on my chest. And the scar on my chest happened because he was bruised, he was broken, he was scarred. And what he did was he gave me a heart transplant. And his scars meant that I have a scar where he took out my old heart, my broken heart, my hurting heart, and he put in his heart. It's a heart that follows after him. It's a heart that's pure. It's a heart that's holy. It's a heart that's healed. See, Jesus said, if you look for my scars, then when you see my scars, I'm going to do a heart transplant in you, and it's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. It's a holy heart. It's not the one that's been passed around from relationship to relationship and shattered into a million pieces. See, this is a new heart that burns after the things that Jesus' heart burns after. This is a new heart that he has given us. Amen? Praise God. This heart, it doesn't pump the blood of my sinful nature anymore. That's not what's pumping through my veins. You know what's pumping through my veins? The cleansing blood of Jesus is pumping through my veins because of my new heart. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that this heart bleeds resurrection power. It's a heart that is completely consumed by the spirit of the living God. Look at this, and I'm almost finished. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Isn't that good news that we're called children of God? Hallelujah. Such good news. It says, Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it is yet, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him resurrected. When he is revealed, we shall be like him because we shall see him like he is. We shall see him resurrected. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. He's saying here, you're children of God. It hasn't been revealed yet what you'll be, but I know this, that if you look at the scars and he's revealed, then you're going to be like him. You're going to be like him. You haven't stepped into the fullness of your purpose yet. You haven't stepped into the fullness of what God has for you yet, but when Christ is revealed, you'll be like him. I don't know what that purpose is for you. I don't know what that plan is for you. I don't know what steps he's ordered for you. But I know this, that if you look for the scars, you'll be like him. You'll be like him. In the 50 days between resurrection and ascension, and we can have the worship team come up. In the 50 days between ascension, resurrection and ascension, the followers of Jesus saw him as he is. Scars and all. If you allow the resurrected Jesus to be revealed, you'll be like him. Guys, I've, I've been healed from many wounds. As I was studying for this message over the last couple of weeks, God started revealing some stuff to me. It's a next step in the healing that he has for me. I want to share with you. I've been healed from a lot of wounds, some self-inflicted, some I didn't ask for. I've got battle scars from the wounds. I'm so, so thankful for the grace, for the healing power of God that's been extended to me to heal wounds. I'm thankful for the scars. I'm thankful. From a physical standpoint, I started out talking about this accident that I had with my finger, even though it looks a little different and there's a scar, I'm, I'm thankful. The emotional scars, the, the mental scars, I'm thankful that there were wounds that 
have healed. But in the midst of this, I've started making it about my scars. And so many times in our walk, I think we make it about our scars. And we glorify our scars. We glorify where we've been. We glorify the fact, don't get me wrong, the testimony is powerful that I once was a mess and he's putting me back together and his grace has been extended to me. Such a powerful testimony. We gotta give it. We gotta give that testimony. But I had gotten to the point where in giving that testimony, all I did was look at my scars. And I'm thankful. And I know that I didn't heal those wounds in and of myself. But I never want to get to a point where I make it about my scars and I forget about his. without his scars I would just have wounds see we could die because of our wounds but he died and his scars made it possible for me to have scars and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. But that scripture goes on to say, but the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of God. What did the faith of God do? Sent Jesus to the cross and resurrected him. As long as I focus on my scars, I will never experience fullness but when I focus on him I'll be like him when I focus on him I'll reach an upper room experience when I focus on him I won't go from hunger to feast from hunger to feast yes God is stirring a hunger in his church but it's not about just consuming it's about going out saying, Jesus, use me. And so church, how do we get there? We ask to see the scars. We don't wait for a touch from God. We reach out and we touch him. We don't wait for him to fill the room we say, Jesus, you're welcome in the room. Come in. It's like sitting at your house on Saturday night wondering why nobody's coming over, but you didn't invite anybody over. But all you got to do is pick up the phone. I don't want you to get me wrong today. I know Jesus is with you always, okay? I do not want you to misconstrue what I'm saying today. But what I am saying is sometimes we're walking with Jesus like the people on the road to Emmaus and we don't even recognize him. And then suddenly our eyes are opened. If we had the consciousness to say, Jesus, you are welcome in this room, then he would be revealed to us. And if he's revealed to us, then we will be like him. We're not sitting around saying, I had hoped. We know. We know that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the answer. you've never received him as your Lord and Savior today, I, I want to give you that opportunity to receive him. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute. When I pray that prayer,
we're going to invite Jesus in. What we're saying is, Jesus, I believe you're God's son, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. We believe that those things are true. And then a very important part of this is we're saying, Jesus, come and be my Lord. When we say, Jesus, come and be my Lord, you're humbling yourself. You're saying, I cannot do it on my own. I need you. And so I submit to your authority above my own. What comes along with that is maybe some things that that challenge the way that we've lived or challenge the way. I'm not here to tell you how to live. I'm here to tell you to look to Jesus. Some people would say, I just, mm, I just feel this strongly today. I don't know if it's somebody in the room or somebody online, but I feel like that that there is one person, two people, five people, I don't know how many, at least someone that is sitting there thinking, I, if I become a Christian, I have to quit this, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you've been wrestling with that and you've been struggling with it. I'm here to tell you today that the Bible is not a book of rules, but it's a revelation of Jesus. It's not to tell you, you can do this or you cannot do this. That's not what it is. It's saying, get to know Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. As you get to know Jesus, there's going to be things in your life that don't line up with him, but I'm not going to tell you what those things are. What you do is you get to know him, and when he's revealed to you, then you have trust. Then you have relationship, and he begins to tell you, this thing is not good for you. You need to lay it down, but I've empowered you to lay it down. Amen? I've empowered you. And so start the life. Today's a reset. Let's start over with him. Jesus, I call you my Lord, and I submit to your authority. I can promise you this. He's going to bring you along at the perfect pace to experience maximum freedom in your life. At the perfect pace. Because there may be things in your life that today you're just not willing to deal with. But he knows. He knows. And it's okay. The Bible tells us that we are being saved. We are always, always in the act of realizing the power of the salvation that he's given us. Christ is being revealed. So let's pray today. that everybody pray this prayer whether you're in the room or watching online everybody pray with us today because we're a family say this say Jesus I believe that you're God's son I believe that you died for me and I believe that you rose again and I ask you to come into my life I confess you today as my Lord because I can't do it on my own. And so I submit to you as greater than me. And I trust you to reveal yourself to me so that I can be like you. In Jesus' name.